Get your Bibles out. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. Wow, it's quiet out there. Every teacher's dream. But I like noise and feedback, so. Ephesians chapter 6. We're in verse 14. I'm going to read you about the spiritual armor here. We're talking about the armor of God. We've been preaching through Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, a blueprint for Christian living. Uh, God cares about our conduct, amen, because people are looking at us deciding what they think about Jesus. That's a, that's a heavy weight to carry, isn't it? How many would just like to categorically say, I don't want anybody to judge Jesus by me? But unfortunately, as Christians and as those who say we're the church, they're looking at us to see, well, what are Christians like? And they're thinking if that's what Jesus is all about, I either want that right now or I don't want anything to do with that. So our conduct matters. And we covered a lot of principles in Ephesians chapter 5. I encourage you to, if you missed some of that, to go and get it online and get it in your spirit. But here we're talking about the armor of God and uh, I'm going to read to you a description of this armor that God wants us to wear. And realize this is uh, not literal. I don't want to see you guys come to church dressed up like it's the Lord of the Rings or Braveheart. <laughs> that, that's not what's being taught here, but uh, it, it does have its application in the spiritual realm. So listen to Paul's description of the spiritual armor here. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And there's a description of the armor there. Last time we were together, we talked about the belt of truth. I'm going to recap that quickly, but we're still in verse 14, having girded, any, everybody girdled up this morning? <laughs> having girded your loins with truth and our target part this morning and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So the spiritual armor is what we put on uh, to go into spiritual battle, we talked about the proper attire. It's the proper attire for us to be wearing. Uh, when we talked about a, a blueprint for Christianity, we noticed that what our enemy is a schemer. It says what? So that we can withstand the schemes of the devil. What does he do? We described that our enemy studies us and he looks for weaknesses in us. And then he targets those weaknesses. He doesn't hit us when we're strong or where we're strong. Remember when he came to tempt Jesus? Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. His body was weak. I mean, I don't know about you. If I go out, you know, without food for 40 minutes, I'm a little bit off. <laughs> hey, man, I'm Italian. I got to eat every hour or I start to die. I need bread, olive oil. 40 days, no food. Jesus is wiped out mentally, emotionally, spiritually, diminished. The devil comes to hit him. That's our enemy. He's a schemer. Doesn't hit us when we're strong or where we're strong. Uh, if you're looking for the devil to appear to you in a red leotard with a pitchfork, it's not going to happen. 
That's the cartoonish idea that we get, you know, of this little guy sitting on your shoulder telling you to do the wrong stuff. No, but he will show up in the form of every temptation known to man. He will show up to get you to compromise or to take an opportunity to lie when you can tell the truth or to cheat when you can be honest, to steal. He loves to get us to bend the rules. You say, well, what's the big deal? Nobody's watching. You see, it's the way we act when we think that nobody's watching that determines whether or not we have integrity. And when there's a lack of integrity, the enemy finds a chink in our armor and he schemes and exploits that chink in our armor so that he can bring us down. Our text said in verse 14 to stand firm. And he says what? To belt our, our to wear the belt of truth around our waist. And we talked about that last week. We're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness in just a minute, but let's remember about the belt of truth. It seemed interesting that the first part of the armor was a belt. Amen? I don't know about you, but I don't think much about my belts. I have a few of them. They're all the same color. Some go with dress pants. Some go with jeans. I didn't pick a belt out this morning and go, let's build my ensemble around this. Some of you don't know what ensemble is. I can see it by the look. But the belt was the first thing. Why? Because if you know the dress of the day, they wore outer garments and even undergarments that were just like long flowing robes. They were basically like a dress. And I I made the point in that message that you can't fight in a dress. You got to gird your loins. You've got to belt your waist. Why? Because unless you do that, you're out there on the battlefield and, you know, you're clumsy and you're slow and you're vulnerable in a dress. That's why our soldiers don't wear dresses on the battlefield. But once we belt up our waist and we gird up our loins and we have the truth of God in our lives, now all of a sudden where there was, you know, we were slow and clumsy and vulnerable, now we're quick and we're nimble and we're dangerous to the enemy. Do you know Jesus didn't die so you and I could just squeak into heaven? He died so that we would be dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Amen? So truth of God's word, the truth of God in our lives, knowing the truth and having the truth and allowing the truth to set us free is the first component of the spiritual armor, but it moves on quickly to this breastplate of righteousness. Now, those of us who, you know, have seen old movies and, you know, we've seen, you know, the the soldiers and the knights and all that stuff, the breastplate was the part, as most of you probably know, it was like a vest that went on them from neck to groin and protected uh, all of their vitals. Now, there again, I'm not asking you to go out to Dick's Clothing and Sporting Goods and... (laughs) God bless you, Carol. And get yourself a coat of mail or a suit of armor. No, but spiritually, we have got to learn to have this garment on to protect us. You know, without our loins girded up and our waist belted, we're we're clumsy and we're not right. Without the breastplate of righteousness on, we're going to go out on the battlefield and we are going to be very vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. It's that piece of armor that covered the soldier from neck to groin. It covered the vitals. Throughout history, you've seen every culture have these breastplates. The American Indians used to make them out of wood and shells and bone. You have coastal tribes, places in Hawaii that made them out of whale bones and whatever the material of the day was that they could find. We went through the Bronze Age. Guess what it was made out of? Bronze. 
We went through the Iron Age. We went through, you know, all of these things. The soldiers would have the best materials of the day on. Now our soldiers and our police officers, they wear the same type of thing. It's called body armor. It's made of Kevlar, ceramic, high-tech polymers, and carbon composites. It's amazing the protection it can afford us. But you wouldn't go on the battlefield without your plate carrier, without your plate, the one in the front, the one in the back. Why? Because the enemy's going to attack. Some of us are just kind of dancing out there, maybe still in a dress, don't have a lot of truth, don't have the breastplate on, and wonder why we get hit by everything the devil throws our way. We've got to learn to wear the armor. It works in a it works together as a system. It protects us. The, the breastplate of righteousness is so important. Uh, you say, what did the breastplate uh, do for soldiers on the battlefield? Well, it protected their vitals from the attack of the enemy. It also gave them a, a degree of confidence that they were protected from the attack of the rear, right? Only moms can see behind them. Only mom's got eyes in the back of her head. The rest of us, we've got to protect our back. So it gave this degree of protection. Now, I want you to understand the implication of what the breastplate brings, but we're going to dig in deeper to the spiritual aspects of it. Realize it, it's got to protect us from neck to groin. It's got to protect our vitals from the attacks of the enemy. It's got to offer us a degree of protection and confidence to know that we're not going on the battlefield completely vulnerable to the enemy. Now, before we get into what exactly it does protect on us, I want to identify where the armor gets its strength from. See, this is important. It says the breastplate of righteousness. And the clue is that the, the strength of the armor is from uh, some source of righteousness. And you might have figured out, again, what source of righteousness we should be depending on. But I want to talk to you about that a little bit because we need to know where the righteousness comes from and where the strength comes from to protect our vitals in that breastplate. From in the natural, we said it comes from all different types of materials, from, you know, very simple materials all the way up to complex materials that our soldiers wear today. The question becomes, where does the righteousness come from that gives the breastplate its strength in the spiritual sense? I want to tell you two places it doesn't come from before we talk about where it does. The first place it doesn't come from is it's not from denominational righteousness, so many people put their faith in their denomination. It's quiet now. Denominations were never God's idea. Man divided and fragmented the church, and in doing so, made it weak. Because we divided over non-essentials, and we all cling to our own brand of Christianity. Come on, for second service. I want to hear more than Pastor Mike. Groan, throw something, ruffle the pages in your Bible. Oh, I'm a, a Baptist. Well, I'm a Southern Baptist. Well, I'm a First Baptist. I am the First Baptist. I'm a charismaniac. I'm an evangelical. I'm a Pentecostal. I'm a devout Catholic. All my relatives growing up, devout Catholics. Apparently, that meant they would give a dollar when the plate went by. They would stand out in front of the church and smoke cigarettes and talk about the priest afterward. That was a devout Catholic. That's how I grew up. Come on, don't look at me like that. But always pride in the denomination, John. Oh, I'm this and I'm that and I'm this. And I, and I almost, 
you know, putting stock in that. And let me tell you something about denominations. I understand why we have different flavors. I'm not saying it's, you know, totally wrong and totally, you know, I, I can't understand why. I get it. But, but understand something. There is no perfect church. I want more. I, I ain't giving you any more till I get what I want. All right? There is no perfect church. There are no perfect leaders. There is no, our church has the perfect biblical structure. Oh. <sighs> if there was a perfect church, when I got there and you got there, we'd mess it up. Because there are no perfect Christians. Okay, so this denominationalism is bad, and people put their faith more in their denomination, in their spiritual pedigree, in, you know, uh, whose name is, you know, riveted to the pew that they sat in than they do to Jesus. And let me tell you something. There, there's no righteousness in a denomination. There's no perfect church system. Every denomination does think it's the best, though. Did you notice that? Like, if we didn't think this was the best, we wouldn't go here. Well, let me tell you something. We're not the best. We're not the best. Oh, we're the best. We do it the best. Our worship is the best. <laughs> See, pastors, we think this is hilarious. We're not the best. In fact, there's some people probably in this county doing it better than us right now. We could probably, you look really sad now. <laughs> we, we could probably up our game a little bit. But denominationalism is not where our strength comes from. It's not where our righteousness, well, we're the full gospel. Everybody else preaches partial gospel. <laughs> Come on. It's not a denominational strength. There was a denomination that I heard they were launching a, a ministry into New York City, and they, they were, you know, there was all kinds of, you know, media outreach and on social media, and they were give, doing this big campaign to launch it. And I remember listening to the commercial for, their, media, for their, their outreach into New York City, and basically what it was saying is New York City is an unreached people group, and we're going to go there, and everything's going to change. And something went off in my spirit, and the Holy Spirit was like, that's the worst thing. I, you know, I was just, that's horrible. What about the thousands and thousands of preachers who are preaching the gospel there for generations? What about the revivalists that went there and had revivals that these knuckleheads don't even know about? We're the first ones going in. No, you're just the worst at church history. Come on, and guess what? They went in, and you know what happened? Nothing. It got worse. It's half boarded up right now. Do you know why that didn't work? Because it was proud. It was cocky. It was lifting up denomination instead of Jesus. It was ignoring the move of the Holy Spirit in that place for decades. Our strength is not in our denomination. If you thought it was, I'm happy to disappoint you. What else? Our righteousness doesn't come from our personal good works. It's not personal righteousness. Well, I have the breastplate of Rick's righteousness on. Well, then I'm going to eat a lot of arrows and spears and not survive because my righteousness doesn't cut it. I'm, I'm not feeling like you believe me on that one. Well, I'm a good person, pastor, and I do good things, and I'm, I, I, you know, out of all my friends, I'm the best one. That's because you pick bad friends. 
what are you doing with those people? Find somebody better to hang out with. You notice how people do that? They're a little pudgy so they get fatter friends. Come on, I'm just telling the truth in church. Ah, I smell blood. It's not our personal righteousness. It's not our good works. It's not our spiritual accomplishments. It's not our spiritual pedigree. It's not our denomination. Paul, in the book of Galatians, in the prophet Isaiah, in the book that bears his name, spoke to this issue. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 64, 6. But we are all like an unclean thing. Say all. all. Unclean. And all our righteousness is like filthy rags. We fade as a leaf. All our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Wow. There's a picture of humanity. Our righteousness, our good works, the things that we do, it's as filthy rags. If I gave you the, the description of what that means, filthy rags, it's actually kind of graphic, but it means menstruation cloths. <laughs> now it's quiet. Well, that's how, that's how filthy my, you know, good works are. Yeah, you know why our good works never cut it? Because there's always a motive behind what we do, and it's usually self-centered. Oh, no, I, I'm just so good. I do good just for the sake of doing good. No, all of us who are wrapped in flesh have a motive. Sometimes it's to make us feel good. Sometimes it's to elevate us above others. Sometimes, you know, I've heard people say, just do good stuff. It'll make you feel good about yourself. I'm like, well, that's the wrong motive. I've had somebody encourage me, oh, give to this charity. You'll, you'll feel good about yourself for Christmas. It's the wrong motive. It's the wrong heart. All our righteousness. I realize this is a little bit of a bummer, so I'll try and move on here. <laughs> well, thanks, Pastor. I got up. I put clothes on that matched, and I came here for you to tell me that everything I do doesn't cut it. Well, the truth is that's the only thing that drives us to our knees so that we'll reach out for a Savior, and that's a good thing, amen? But all our righteousness is filthy rags. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians about personal righteousness. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, that's doing good deeds, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Is that clear enough for everybody? Good works are never going to impress God enough for it to count as righteousness for us. We're talking about the breastplate of righteousness. It doesn't come from us. If it could come for us, Jesus never would have died in our place. It doesn't come from our denomination or our spiritual pedigree or our good works. It comes from the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he, dis he displayed on the cross when he died in our place. Come on, church. Our righteousness comes from Jesus. And if you're not excited about that today, I'll give an altar call at the end and you can get saved because I'm telling you what, once you find out that it's not me, it's not what I do, it's not my performance, it's not my good works, but it's the blood of Jesus, there's such a rest in that for us. The world is all about do good works and give to this and do that and you'll feel good about yourself. But it doesn't save your soul. It doesn't answer the question of our sin. It doesn't set us free from bondage. The strength 
of the breastplate of righteousness comes from Christ alone. It's his righteousness, and we put it on as a garment. And when God sees it, he doesn't see our sin and our failures and our weakness and our bad choices anymore. What he sees is Jesus, and he looks down, and he counts it as righteousness for us. And that's why we gotta be wearing this thing, church. Well, can I get one that says Under Armour on it? No. It's gotta say Jesus on it. How about my church denomination? No. It's gotta say Jesus on it because it's the only one that'll stop the attack from the enemy. So there's where the righteousness comes from. Many of us you know, probably knew that, but we need to be reminded, stop trying to do good things and impress God and do these works and, and judge yourself according to, you know, how, you know, who, oh, I'm the best one in my, no, listen, let's just stand on the righteousness of Jesus, amen. What does the breastplate of righteousness protect on a child of God? Well, I'm going to tell you, it protects three things. Now we know that it's Jesus's righteousness, but we've got to wear it. And what does it protect on us? Number one, it protects our back. When you put the breastplate on, it covers front and back. Soldiers would, you know, have just as much armor in the back as it did in the front. Why? Because you and I, like I said, only moms can see behind them. And you and I can't protect our own backs. Have you ever been in a situation where you, you felt completely alone and really inadequate to defend yourself? Maybe from spiritual attack, maybe from attacks at work, maybe from your neighborhood. It could be people, it could be devils, I don't know. But you know when you're in a situation where you need someone to protect your back, maybe you've been in the middle of a fight and think, who's got my back? Have you ever been there before? We used to say in Bible school, like, this one guy goes, I'm right behind you. And Pastor Mike and I would be like, yeah, but what are you doing back there? <laughs> you, you ever notice there's some people who are behind you, and they say they got your back, but then they stick it in your back? Yeah. And you're like, you know, I, I thought my trouble was out here. And, it, and E2 Brute? You know, you go all Shakespeare on them. And you're like, I can't believe it. You're the one? who betrayed me, who, who undid me, who, who stabbed me from behind. You see, all of us need somebody to protect our back. And in the final analysis, the only one who's trustworthy of that job is God himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We need protection for our backs. And you might say, well, who's got my back? And I want to answer that question for you. God has got your back. He's always got your back. Well, I don't feel him there. He's there. Well, I, I think he must be mad at me. He, he's not mad at you. He's plotting your victory. You might have fallen down in the mud, but he's going to pick you up and dust you off and get you back on track. God's got your back. He's always got your back. You can count on him to do what's best for you in any given situation. You say, Pastor, how do you know that God has my back? I'll give you three reasons why. Number one, God's got your back because he loves you. Now, let me try that again. Oh, yeah, he's going to tell us God loves us now for 10 minutes. Yeah, I am. God loves you. And sometimes we got to get it from here, which is dense, to here, where it's soft. What does it mean that God loves me? Is it just something I say? Is it Christian rhetoric? Is it, you know, you know, just a nice phrase we spout off? No, he really loves us. You say, well, how do you know? Because the cross 
proves that he loves us, that he sent his only begotten son to die for us, amen? In my place, Jesus died. In your place, Jesus died. God loves you. Listen to what Jeremiah, the prophet, and, and Jeremiah 31, three says. He says, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, listen, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Just the fact that you're here today, clothed in your right mind and saved, good job. It's because God draw you with everlasting love. Because he loved you. While we were yet sinners, he loved us. He sent Jesus because he loved us. He let Jesus raise again on the third day because he loved us. He sent the Holy Ghost to us because he loves us. Wow, I, was, I wish I wasn't just preaching all by myself up here. God loves you today. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you could do to quench his love. He's going to love you all the days of your life. Why else can you count on God having your back? Because you're his child. Amen. I want you to do something. Say, I am a child of God. One more time. I am a child of God. Even the worst parents have affection for their children. Don't raise your hand. This is not the altar call. But if you're a good parent at all, if you're a godly parent, if you're a decent human being, you love your children. You love them more than you love yourself, I hope. That's a stretch in this generation. But a godly parent would gladly lay their life down for their children. A godly parent understands the, the, the love and the bond that comes from having a child. And how could God in heaven, who tells us to love one another, not love his own children? The Bible says that if we don't provide for our own, we're worse than an infidel. We're worse than an unbeliever. So how could God, who makes a statement like that, not provide for his own, not love his own, not take care of his own children? I'm here to remind you this morning, God loves you, and you're his child, and he's going to take care of you and provide everything you need until the day you fall into his arms. You know, Uncle Phil went to be with the Lord. We got his picture up here. He's still watching me preach on the front row here. And he, he's, got his little, he's got his little MAGA hat on. If you, don't, if you don't like that, you can get out. But I was been thinking about Phil a lot and just processing through grief. And I realized God was faithful to him to provide everything he needed till the day he took him home. Everything, he never, he never missed a meal, buddy. You never, you know, we, he had everything he needed. And, and that encourages me as a believer to know that I'm not going to be in lack. I'm not going to be in poverty. I'm not going to, you know, die alone with nothing. God's going to provide everything I need until he takes me home. He's going to do it for me and he's going to do it for you because you're his child today and he loves you with an everlasting love the fact that he drew you by his spirit to his son that he gave to die in your place proves he loves you. John 1, 2 says this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right or power to become children of God to those who believe on his name. You're God's child today. And I want to tell you something, God always takes care of his children. So when anyone messes with you, they're not messing with you. They're messing with God, who's your heavenly father. Why else does God have your back? 
because he's invested a lot in you and he's promised to keep you. God's invested a lot in me. God's invested a lot in you. Just in what he's given you in Jesus, just in the times he's forgiven you and given you a second chance and a third chance. Come on, I don't know how many chances I'm on. All I know is the goodness of God, that he's been really good to me. Why? Because he's invested so much in us. Jude 1, 24 says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceedingly great joy. He's able to keep us from stumbling. Why? Because he loves us, because we're his children, and he's invested a lot in us. God hasn't brought us this far so we can fail. God hasn't kept us this long so we can lose out in the end. God hasn't given us the blood of Jesus and the grace of God and the Holy Spirit so that we can miss heaven by this much. His keeping power, his love, and his commitment to us as our Heavenly Father shows that he's got our backs all the time. Number two, the second part of the breastplate of righteousness that protects the child of God is this. Yeah, it protects our back, and we get it now, but it also protects our midsection. That breastplate came down past the chest, covered your stomach. You know, some, some of them came down past the loins, and I'm not going to go into that, but we're talking about the gut, the midsection here. Some of the most grievous wounds you can experience on the battlefield besides, you know, sucking chest wound in your vital area here is a, is a gut wound. And I'll tell you why, because gut wounds spur, they, they, they make infections, and you become septic, and you die of septicemia, you die of being poisoned by your own blood. So the stomach is an area that needs protection on the battlefield from bullets, from, you know, from all kinds of shrapnel and things. And soldiers with section, uh, their midsections wounded, you know, comprise a lot of battle casualties. And understand something, God wants to protect us here in the gut region. And in case we've forgotten and need to be reminded again, it takes a lot of guts to be a Christian. Oh, well, no, not for me. It doesn't, you know, I can just kind of slip below the radar and I can stay in the shadows. You're not doing it right then. If you're going to be a Christian and let your light shine in the darkness and be wise enough to win souls and make a difference in the kingdom of God, it takes guts to be that kind of Christian. To a world that basically says across the board, Sit down, shut up, we don't want to hear what you've got to say, you don't have any place in the public square, we don't want to hear your narrow-minded ideas about theology and sin, sit down and be quiet. That's what the world says to the church. It takes guts to be a Christian. Some Christians don't have the intestinal fortitude to stand up for Jesus in this generation. They don't have the guts to be mocked, to be criticized, or to face rejection from the world. To be out of step with their peers, to be the brunt of the joke, to not be the one uh, to be the center of attention or the life of the party, but to walk in holiness and in righteousness. Some Christians don't have the guts to do that. And you know what? It only takes one good shot in the midsection to make some people quit. And the enemy sucker punches you in the gut, and we're going to talk about how he does it, but it takes all the fight out of you, and you want to quit. And you're like that 
seed that springs up and has no root and gets scorched, and when persecution comes, I'm done. I didn't sign up for this. I don't have the guts to be out of step with this world. So many of us in life have been sucker punched by things coming out of nowhere in life. Uh, there's probably not one of us out there today, even, even our, our young men and women that would say, you know what, I, I've never been surprised by anything that, you know, kind of just took me out for a while in life. No, all of us have suffered these things. It comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? Everything's going fine, everything's going good, and then boom, out of the shadows. It, it's a shot to the midsection, and it takes our wind away, takes our fight away takes our confidence away and it makes us want to quit. It could be something like a huge debt that you've incurred that you can't pay or a big lawsuit. You, you get served and now all of a sudden you, you're in legal trouble. and Boom, it's a shot to the gut. It could be a betrayal by a close friend that you never saw coming. Boom, a shot to the gut. It could be a pink slip from a job you've worked for decades. Thanks for your service. We don't need you anymore. You're fired. Boom a shot to the gut. It could be a marriage that comes unraveled with infidelity and now it's in divorce. Boom, a shot to the gut. Failing health, shattered faith, sick children. Boom, boom, boom. Sometimes they all come at once, it seems. They say when it rains, it pours. And spiritually at times, that seems to be true. If you've been hit by one of these, unexpectedly, if you've been punched in the gut and it took your breath away, it took your confidence away, it took your will to fight away, wearing the breastplate of his righteousness will protect us from such things. You see, when that thing's on us, when we are standing in the righteousness of Christ, when our hope is in Jesus alone and not our own strength, when we trust him from cradle to the grave to keep us and be with us, the breastplate deflects the shot and absorbs it for us so it doesn't damage us internally and take our wind away. Are you getting this today? We need to stand in his righteousness. We need to hope in the Lord. We need to put our trust in the Lord. We need to delight ourselves in him and him alone. If we don't, we are open up to these random shots in the midsection that can take our will to proceed away. The armor protects our back. It protects our midsection. And number three, I want to close with this. It protects our heart. The main thing, the breastplate, in my mind, would be there to protect is to protect your heart. That heart-lung region is very vulnerable. If it's not armored, I don't know about you. I, don't, I, I think, you know, God, you could have did a better job with, our, our, you know, our skin and stuff. Like, I see how ants are pretty tough. You know, Bugs got that exoskeleton thing. I just got some chest hair. It's not doing me any good. But this heart region, amen, a soldier wouldn't dare go out on the modern battlefield without his Kevlar, without his trauma plate. Why? Because, you know, one shot from a modern weapon to this region and you're, you're done. The enemy hunts for our hearts. He'd love nothing more. We're going to talk about the shield of faith. We're going to talk about the fiery darts. We're going to talk about those arrows. He would like nothing more than to sink an arrow right through our hearts. 
And when he does, it's a serious thing. Why? Because the heart is central to our physical and spiritual well-being. Without a heart, you know, if your heart stops, you're done. You say, well, the brain is very important. Listen to this. The brain receives oxygenated blood from the heart so that the brain can function. If you don't get any blood to your brain, you, you begin to die of hypoxia, your brain shuts down, and you're done. It's the heart. When that heart's pumping, when that heart's beating, when it's working in conjunction with your lungs, sending oxygenated blood through your body, every system in the body functions because of the heart. And that's why the devil wants to put an arrow through our spiritual heart. Because if he does, if he's allowed to find that vulnerability in us, he can shut down every system in us and begin to kill our faith by starving it to death. Understand something here today. Your heart is important. Proverbs 4, 20 through 23 says this, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to hear my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Listen to verse 22. For they are life to those who find them and health to all your flesh. The heart supplies every system. Listen to verse 23. Keep your hearts with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Our spiritual heart. How does our heart relate to God? How does our heart relate to our brothers and sisters? How does our heart relate to our spouse, our children? How does our heart relate to the lost? It's all about the heart and our hearts under attack. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness allows us to have the right heart in any situation. Did you ever get into a situation and reflexively you had an attitude about it and you realized halfway into spouting out the abundance of what was in your heart that you had the wrong attitude? Come on, we do this all the time. Like sometimes in the middle of the sentence, I'm like, whoa, what are you doing here? And it's still going. And I'm like, this is wrong. You need to try. No, it's too late. See, that breastplate protects our heart so we can have the right heart in any situation. I found that my reflexive instincts are mostly wrong. Anyone? That knee-jerk reaction, someone cuts you off, they, they wave to you with one of their digits, and your, your reflex is what? Oh, Lord, bless their family. Prosper them. That's an old car. Bless them with a new car this year in Jesus' name. Some of you won't even look at me. That's not our reflexive action. Come on. You can't get mad at the preacher for telling truth in church. Our reflexive action is usually the flesh, and it's always wrong. Putting on the breastplate allows me to have the right heart in any given situation. I found out that applying God's truth to our lives is usually counterintuitive. It's exactly the opposite of what we think. And what we would think we should do is not what we should do. Why? Because the flesh and the spirit are diametrically opposed and they're backwards to each other. I've been angry in situations where I should have been loving. I've been harsh when I should have been gentle. I've been defensive when I should have been empathetic. I've been jealous when I should have been generous. And, and you're looking at me like, Pastor, we're, we're glad you finally admit this. But the truth is we, we have the wrong reaction sometimes because our heart's wrong because it's not protected. 
with the breastplate of righteousness and its flesh. I remember one time my son called. He was out. It was a hot, it was a hot afternoon in the summer. He was playing basketball, and he twisted his ankle real bad. And I got there, and when I got there, like a good Italian father, I was mad. Anybody else, when you're a kid, you get hurt or, you know, you do something, you crash your bike or, you know, you, you fall down. My dad's like, holes in my walls, holes in my walls. And, and my son said to me, why are you mad? And I, I had to think about it. Well, I'm not mad at you. you. You twisted your ankle. I guess I'm mad that you got hurt. But mad wasn't the right response. I should have been tender. I should have been gentle. I should have been like Jesus. I didn't come to Jesus as a sinner, and he was mad. Oh, you, finally, finally you. What do you want? That's not Jesus. So that breastplate keeps my heart right. It keeps it from being so overwhelmed by the flesh that I, I have the wrong response to the situations of life. Number two, putting on that breastplate of righteousness keeps me from losing heart. I'm telling you what. 2020 has been a heck of a year, and it has made a lot of people lose heart. It has overcome a lot of people with fear, and it has even drawn people away from the church that the enemy is working really hard for them to never come back so that he can suck them back into their old patterns that were destructive to their soul. 2020 has been a hard year, and it's been a year where uh, dealing with all kinds of sickness and uh, restrictions and loss of jobs and loss of income and political nonsense that, that's swirling all around our nation. That, that there's been so much in 2020 that I know God's got his hands in it because it's just too much for it to be a coincidence. But it's enough to make a lot of people lose heart. And I'm praying today that you haven't lost heart. I got to be honest with you, there's times where like, I've been, during this year, I've had enough of this. Anybody? I've preached to empty seats for months on videotape. Sometimes there was more noise from the empty seat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's times I'm like, man, I like people. Where are the people? I need people. I'm talking to myself too much. I've had it with this. Huh. But when life is hard, we run to God and not from him. We don't quit on Jesus. We don't walk away from our faith. We double down on it. We don't just shut the word of God. We just get massive doses of it so it refreshes us and renews our minds. But hard times can make people lose heart. Galatians 6, 8 through 10 says this, For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose hearts. You see, what, what keeps us, what makes us quit on doing the right thing when we lose heart? That's why our heart is constantly under attack. That's why the enemy's flinging arrows at it all day long. That's why we need it protected by Jesus' righteousness, amen? Not our own strength, not our own denominational pedigree, not our own good works, because that won't stop the attack. Our hearts are protected when we stand in Jesus' righteousness. 
God, I don't hear you right now. I don't know what's going on right now, but I know I'm your child and that you love me and that I'm covered in the blood of Jesus and that his righteousness is my strength. I know you haven't left me. I know you won't forsake me. I know you have my best interest in mind. Come on, you see how this works here? This is a battle of faith. That, that's how we fight the battle. By the words of our mouth, by the profession of our faith, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You and I need the breastplate of his righteousness. We need to push aside every encumbrance that we would stand on other than his righteousness. It's not our good works. It's not our denomination. It's, it's not that we're, you know, the best of our lousy, lousy friends. <laughs> no, I'm a sinner all by myself. And I need your grace, God, and I'll stand in the righteousness of Christ. And if I do, I won't lose heart, but he'll preserve my faith. He'll keep me. He kept everyone that the Father put into his hands. He didn't lose one. If I wear the breastplate of righteousness, it'll allow me to have the right heart in any given situation. So I, I won't be angry when I should be gentle, and I can be much more like Jesus so the world can see Christ in me and want what I have. If I wear the breastplate of righteousness, It'll protect my midsection. It'll guard me from that sucker punch. It'll keep me pushing forward, protected through the storms and the trials and the minefields of life. God's got my back because I'm his son. He's got your back because you're his daughter. He's got your back because he loves you. So gird your loins and Belt your waist with the truth of God's word and pull on that breastplate of righteousness and let God protect everything that's vital in you so his keeping power can be glorified in what he does in your life. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I pray this morning that this word has fallen into good ground in our hearts, that each of us, especially including me, would hear it, God, I gotta, I gotta believe and live what I preach, God. And these people have to believe what comes out of this pulpit and live it. Help us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. That this week we would stand in your righteousness and we wouldn't say, why me? Or, or of course not me, or I, I'm special. No, it's all about Jesus. He's our protection. He protects what's vital in us. And so... We revel in that, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise this morning.